Welcome to our podcast channel, brought to you by the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. Subscribe to our channel as we provide you with curated content and in-depth conversations by industry experts and leaders across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the British Chamber of Commerce's podcast channel. My name is Lara Kui and I'm an executive coach and consultant at Lara Kui Associates. As the chair of the Startup Entrepreneur and Small Business Committee, I'd like to welcome you to this, the Founders Series podcast. This is one of a set of three podcasts and we'll be progressing from early to mid-stage to late-stage businesses. And this one is the first in the series with our founders of startups in the one to three-year phrase. So I'm going to be talking to four different founders in this podcast. The first one is Alexander Mearns of Levitize. I'll also be speaking to Jamie Treadgold of The Legal Collective, Chris Sassitharan of Wren Advisory, and Sebastian Ponia of Prime Place. Welcome to you all. Thank you for joining me today. So I'd like to just start with a quick introduction to each of you. So if you can just tell me a bit about yourself and, and what your business does. I'll start with Alex. Hello, thanks for having me today. Um, yeah, so I, uh, my name is um, Alex Mearns. I um, run a holistic lifestyle center called Levitize based downtown. We work with um, busy execs, C-level execs, um, on sort of issues like uh, stress relief, um, stress and anxiety relief, uh, weight loss, um, fatigue, trying to get people to sleep like a baby through the night. Um, and, and generally, we, we, we work with people who are sort of maybe a little bit disillusioned with the, with the medical industry, not getting the results they're getting from the um, um, you know, you know, traditional sort of commercial gymming. Um, spheres and um you know help people sort of nurse them back to perfect health happiness both from a sort of physical and mental perspective um you know we do this with a combination of nutrition and lifestyle coaching um, <clears throat> personal training and corrective exercise uh, and uh, use of a full spectrum infrared sauna every now and then so that's really our business in a nutshell thank you Brilliant. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, Sebastian, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Uh, yeah, thank you, Lara, for having me on the uh, podcast today. Um, yeah, so um, uh, a little bit about um, why I set up uh, the business, uh, Prime Place. Um, really, I guess I wanted to combine my, um, my uh, business expertise with helping running the family business um, over the last uh, four or five years. Um, and combining that with my experience in moving. So um, I've moved uh, more than 30, 30 times in my life. So uh, quite a lot of moving, quite a lot of uh, uh, problems uh, and, and, and dealing with the pain points that uh, people uh, experience in moving. So you know, whether you're moving domestically or for your business, I think the issues that people face are, are much the same, that you know, there's a lot of time um, involved with uh, moving and a lot of disruption to the business. So really I wanted to set up Prime Place to help clients to solve these problems. And really we're very much, we see ourselves as part of being the team. So for example, in F1, you have uh, 
the uh, drivers, you know, Lewis Hamilton comes into the pit lane uh, and he's got a crew to help him change the tires. Um, he doesn't get out the car himself and change it. He's got people who are uh, um, who, who do that to save time and, uh, and do it as efficiently as possible. Um, so we really are um, also similar in that, in the sense that we help businesses really to do their office move, save them time, um, save them money, uh, and and make it as easy as possible as well, because you know it's a huge distraction to the business. Uh, an office move um, really takes quite a long time, um, it, from months, uh, probably even a year, depending on the size of the business. Um, and um, you know, in terms of money, we, we, for example, we got a client that we're moving office. Uh, they're currently in Telok I Street in the shop house, and uh, we're moving them to Raffles Place. So we're saving them seventy-five thousand um, dollars over a two-year lease period. So um, our fee for that is just a, a small fraction of, of of that amount that we're saving them. So the reason uh, how we do that um, is really. Uh, we, 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 before we even start the office search, we sit down with the client, we go through all their requirements, um, we understand what they need in terms of office space for meeting room, uh, manager rooms, uh, the number of staff that they have, um, and then we use our information, we go and audit their office, so we visit and we make a list of all their furniture um, and equipment. Um, and uh, we put that together and create a ideal floor plan for the client. So we know before we even start looking for an office, we know exactly how much space that client really needs, uh, which is the most efficient. Um, and then we do the viewings for the client. Uh, we shortlist those um, office, uh, uh, um, the best ones, and then we give them a report and we bring them along to uh, visit the offices. Um, once we've got all that done, we go through the uh, offers and negotiation. And then um, we also solve another big headache for the client with the furniture. So furniture um, is something that uh, businesses, you know, normally will have excess of when they want to move. So we've come up with a um, socially responsible solution to helping clients um, get rid of their furniture uh, by helping them to donate it on their behalf using my contacts that I've built up over the years uh, in Singapore in the shipping industry. Um, so thanks to you, in fact, Lara, you gave me the contact with a great um, charity in Cambodia. So we're now teaming up with them um, to supply furniture for their charity, uh, with, which is building schools for, for children over there. So um, we say to our client, just leave your furniture where it is in your office and we'll arrange to have it picked up and using my contacts we're going to deliver it uh, and send it over so um, it's both um, you know solving the client uh, a really big headache and also doing something you know uh, a good cause for community projects which is really important to to our business model um, and so yeah uh, we we really offer a bespoke service for tenants uh, moving office particularly in this climate um, a lot of companies want to save money and, uh, um, um, you know, headcount is, uh, is down. So, yeah, hopefully we, uh, we, do, we do that for clients. Great. Um, thank you very much, Sebastian. Sounds like it's a, a really um, required service right now, as you say, lots of people moving and downsizing or some upsizing as well. So uh, cool. you're definitely filling a niche there. Thank you. And Chris, could you tell us a bit about REN Advisory? 
Yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks first for having me on this um, on this podcast. Um, so my name is Chris Sassitaran, I'm the founder of Ren Advisory. Um, Ren Advisory is, a, is an HR consulting um, business. Um, now, why did I kind of start off on my own? I, uh, I left my last corporate job um, about 18 months ago. <clears throat> and one of the things I was keen to do is use my experience of working in large organizations um, and kind of help smaller companies, whether they're kind of budding, growing startups or, or even SMEs, um, <clears throat> to kind of benefit from, uh, from kind of what I'd learned and the mistakes I'd made. Um, and a, a lot of the time, organizations of a certain size, when they're scaling up particularly, um, tend to pay less attention to how they manage the people sort of aspects of, of, of the business. Uh, it's usually about funding or, um, you know, technology or product, clients, business development, strategy, etc. And typically what gets kind of left behind is the, um, you know, the employee engagement piece. Um, it, you know, they, they don't pay attention to how do we manage performance in this growing organization, employee performance. Um, you know, some organizations may have an idea of what sort of their values are, but they aren't clearly articulated and, and communicated. Um, and last but not the least, obviously, the whole um, big, broad piece around managing talent, um, which, which goes from acquiring the talent to hiring people through to retaining them, developing them, um, giving them careers, building an employing brand and so on and so forth. So there's a lot that, uh, that goes into making an organization successful. Um, my, my firm belief is that, you know, talent and culture are, are two key ingredients that, that lead to a successful organization. Of course, they need to have a, a half decent viable product and, uh, you know, they need to be financed well enough, etc. Uh, but if they don't have the right talent in the right places uh, and they don't create the right culture um, to help these organizations grow, uh, then that also is a huge stumbling block. Um, so with that in mind, I, I set up Ren Advisory um, to, to work with, um, you know, growing startups and, and, and SMEs on, on this growth journey. Great. Thank you, Chris. Yes, there's certainly a lot of fantastic startups and uh, companies growing here in Singapore. So you're, you're in the right location for that. Jamie, it would be great if you could tell us a bit about the Legal Collective. Hi Laura and thanks for having me as well. It's great to be on such esteemed company in the startup world. Um, the Legal Collective is a company I started a couple of years ago and we provide in-house legal support working as a flexible extension of our client's team. So we're an alternative to a law firm. We're also an alternative to a full-time legal hire within a business. We try to bring senior legal expertise to companies as if we were working for them in-house but our model is so flexible that you know you only use us as and when you need us. So really trying to target the pain point for smaller companies, medium-sized companies, where they can't afford to hire a lawyer full-time and they can't afford to send every kind of reoccurring matter externally to a law firm. So we're there to kind of support and do what we can on an in-house basis. And where perhaps something needs legal advice or something more expertise, we work, then work with law firms on behalf of the companies we have for to kind of manage the external legal process for our clients as well. So we were an outsourced in-house legal function. Thank you very much, Jamie. So it sounds like 
the four of you were originally in, um, you know, bigger sort of corporate roles as employees. And the, the journey to starting your own business is obviously really quite a leap of faith. It does require certain characteristics. And so I'm just wondering about, um, you know, the, the mental process and, and what it was that triggered you initially to start your own business. So Alex, I know for you, it was quite a personal journey. Tell us about what, uh, what started, got you on the path to starting Levitize. Yeah. So thanks, Larry. Yeah. So I, um, well, I was in finance for, for 20 years. I, most of that time running a small hedge fund research uh, company. And, um, it was around about sort of seven years ago, I started having my own health uh, challenges. Um, so I went to the, the doctor to, to, to run a blood test. And I think it was the first time that I'd run a full, you know, full, full blood panel. And um, so I did, you know, drew all the blood, took the test. I went back a week later and said, okay, what, what's, what's, what's wrong, doc? And he says, well, Alex, you've got high cholesterol, high blood pressure, you're overweight, high BMI. <laughs> um, I had like 86 food intolerances and a whole bunch of other issues. I was pre-diabetic. So I was like, okay, what can I do about that? He said, well, you can take these statin drugs. I was like, well, how long for? He's like, well, for the rest of your life, really, unless you do, do something. So I was like... Okay. So as soon as I walked out the doctor, so I didn't, I didn't take them and you know, I've got a like, young, young family and wife and son. So I didn't think it was at the right age to be taking a bunch of drugs. So I walked out, as soon as I walked out the doctor's office, I started looking up uh, things on Wikipedia. I looked up cholesterol was the first thing. And anyway, that started me off uh, researching my own health. Um, and I found a lot of really interesting things, which, were kind of contradictory to, to, to what I thought I, I, I knew. Um, so I spent a lot of time working with, you know, GPs, uh, various GPs, endocrinologists, cardiologists, nutritionists, uh, functional medical doctors, trying to work out what was, what was wrong with me and to get to the root cause. And really, um, I came to the conclusion that, and, that I needed to make all these changes to my diet, my lifestyle, my mental health, myself, um, and, and taking popping pills and supplements wasn't really going to be the solution. Um, and I spent, you know, thousands and thousands of hours on, on research, tens of thousands of hours on, um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on, on, on money on investigating all these root causes. And I did all the work myself and successfully healed myself, but it would have been nice to have worked with someone who could have sort of guided me through the process myself. So I decided to leave my job in finance and set up Levitize to help people like me who are not getting the answers from the medical community or, or, or the sort of commercial gymming space. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, yes, sounds like a, you know, a very personal story and a real very strong rationale for you know, starting a business. And it's often the case that people have got a personal experience when they discover that there's a service they themselves would have liked um, and they didn't find that. So they say, right, I am going to do that. And I think you know, that's very much your story, Sebastian, isn't it, about um, your experience with all those moves. You said you, know, you moved many, many times, 30 times uh, in your young life already, um, so spotted a gap. Tell, tell us a bit more about your motivation. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose um, I, I've um, put together what I've experienced in terms of um, 
you know, moving a lot and um, I'm moving again in a few months. So uh, I got that to look forward to as well. Um, and uh, yeah, um, you know, I think during, because uh, my uh, company I founded this year really. So um, we're, we're, we're um, very early in our journey, but certainly I think um, there, I saw a gap in the market because of, you know, during lockdown, um, with all the uh, industry leaders uh, that I was following, talking about what is going to happen in the office-based market, um, and um, listening to uh, people talk about expectations of um, uh, whether to, uh, you know, um, keep their lease going or to renew it. A lot of businesses um, I've been speaking to uh, took the, or the landlord, in fact, initiated it to lock the tenant in because otherwise they would have been moving and loss of revenue. So um, really uh, uh, what we uh, see going forward is that there will be opportunities where people will move because, you know, working from home is is, is working um largely quite well for most companies um, and having uh, flexible working hours and changing shifts uh, between teams. So um, I think for us really, because we're doing it every day, we live and breathe moving office. And, uh, you know, I put together these office reviews for clients so that uh, really I share with them uh, what is good about the building, what's not so good and give them our advice. Um, it really helps uh, clients to, um, fast track um, and, and save them a lot of time in in that process. So um, I think we um, have, uh, you know, a, a good opportunity where we can really help help clients through, yeah, through my personal experience and also running a business in the family company for the last four or five years has given me all, you know, a lot of business skills uh, needed to, uh, to, to to grow the business going forward and, and um yeah, um, help businesses out um, through their office move because what we also have seen is that, you know, um, it's not really in, uh, we're targeting more SMEs rather than MNCs. So uh, it's not typically the office manager or HR manager or even the finance manager because it's such a huge cost, the finance manager obviously gets quite involved with it. Um, uh, but in no, no one's uh, job description does it say uh, you must... Um, be uh, expert in moving office you know uh, obviously it's a responsibility that somebody in the business has to take on board but it's not something that you recruit for uh, specifically for moving office so what we what we have seen is we're really part of that team um, and we work in the in in the client's best interest um, to really get you know the best uh, best space best deal with the landlord so um, really that was my motivation to help businesses out and as I've been doing for 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 the family business move, moving our offices uh, over the last decade so yeah um, looking forward to helping many businesses uh, going forward. Great. Thank you very much, Sebastian. And Chris, I know that you moved from a very large banking corporation. So tell us about, you know, being part of such a big uh, organization as Standard Chartered and then and making a move to your to your own business. And what was that was like and, and what set you off on that path? Yeah, so well, I think I've got about two or three reasons, perhaps, um, that, uh, so, you know, it, firstly, it wasn't an easy decision, right? I think that's uh, quite clear. It's always 
there's a lot of skepticism and, you know, one doubts oneself, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when, when you're going from, uh, you know, unless you've got about 20 million in the bank and <laughs> you don't, you don't have to worry about finances. There's always a question of, um, you know, having to generate an income, but at the same time, build a business. Uh, and I think that's always, a uh, at the back of someone's mind, but put that to one side, um, I mean, some of the reasons I set up on my own were <clears throat> that, you know, having left uh, a very large financial services company, um, what I wanted to do was use my years of experience in the talent and HR space um, and, you know, kind of be more, more impactful more immediately. Um, and typically that tends to happen. You, you tend to get that in smaller companies. Uh, I'm not saying that you're not, one isn't impactful or can't be impactful in large organizations, but by, by nature of the fact, by virtue of the fact that, you know, the company has tens of thousands of employees, um, it takes that much longer to get stuff done. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. <clears throat> um, so what I wanted to do was, you know, try and work with, with organizations that were smaller um, who you know may or may not know about the challenges that that lie ahead um, in terms of people management and and for me to kind of help them and educate them uh, through through that journey um, another reason was that certainly last year in the first half the job market was uh, very slow um, so you know there weren't that many senior enough jobs out there um, and so you know, in conversation with a number of people I know, um, you know, it became very clear that there's a there's a kind of an ecosystem in Singapore where the government's, you know, kind of uh, promoting and, and helping startups. Um, you know, there, there's a huge scene here of, uh, of helping startups uh, kind of grow and evolve and develop. And um, it was very clear that none of these organizations had um, you know, the, the sort of HR support that they might need to help them through that journey. So, you know, when, when you look at all of this in, in, in isolation, you may think, well, there isn't a business case. But when you, when you sort of put it all together, um, there's certainly a huge opportunity in a place like Singapore, which is a very easy place to do business. And that's why a lot of people set up here. Um, that, um, you know, as long as you keep knocking on the right doors, um, there are opportunities for people, um, you know, like myself, right, like Ren Advisory, to uh, to help these organisations on that uh, on that growth journey. Um, so, you know, not one particular reason, uh, but but perhaps a combination of reason and circumstances that led me to kind of think about doing this this myself. Great. Yes, it sounds like lots of lots of different factors that pushed you, uh, and it's uh, wonderful to have you on our committee as co-chair. Um, so, Jamie, tell us about your journey from you know private practice and in, in larger law firms and setting up on your own. Yeah. So I say so I trained and kind of worked in large international law firms. Spent some time in London, Tokyo, and, and more recently Singapore. Um, I'd say you know, as a junior lawyer working your way up, it's fantastic working in a big law firm. You work with super smart people, it's work with high profile clients and high profile deals. You learn so much. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great grounding for kind of later professional life. Um, the way law firms are kind of structured, it's, it's a pyramid structure. So as you kind of progress up the seniority, not only do you become more expensive in terms of the fees you have to charge clients, 
there's also limited opportunity to kind of really make it to partner. Um, especially when you're kind of outside of the home hub of your law firm. So that's London, you know, if you're in Singapore, you know, a lot of things have to go right in order for you to justify the business case to make partner. Um, and one thing that happened whilst I was kind of becoming more senior, one, I was becoming more and more specialist in, a, in an area of you know, trade quality finance, which wasn't exactly booming at the time that I was pushing for partnership. So that was a struggle to kind of make me most partner. But I also was becoming more and more specialist in what I was doing and more and more wanting to work with interesting startup companies, but they just didn't work. You know, they couldn't afford my fees and I couldn't market myself as a kind of a generalist. So that was so when when kind of a couple of years ago when I was kind of looking at, you know, I'm not gonna make partner, what do I do next? A lot of lawyers will go in-house to big companies. Um but I kind of saw a gap in the market for bringing kind of my kind of background and expertise to smaller companies. And what I really wanted to do was kind of work with them at a, at a price that made sense for them. But also for me, kind of keeping the variety of different clients that you get at law firms. So that's kind of where the idea of the legal collective came from. So you know, we work with lots of companies um, who don't have legal demand every day, but they have frequent demand. Um, so we're able to price it at a point that works for them because they're not using us every day. And for me and the people that work with me, the consultants, you know, we are also still getting that variety. We're much closer to the, the kind of the C-suite of the business we're working for. We're able to kind of advise more on a kind of practical commercial basis than perhaps you would be doing as associates at a law firm. Um, so for me, really, it's, it's about working with different clients in a different part of the market that I'm used to, getting more variety. And for the clients, you know, they get great legal expertise and great experience, which perhaps they wouldn't otherwise get access to um, on a regular basis. Yeah, sounds like you totally solving some problems uh, for yourself and for your clients. So, you know, access to the variety and clients that you really wanted to work with. So I like the, the you know, the creativity involved in recognizing that and then uh, forming your own business. So all of you as founders obviously um, seem to have a certain sort of mindset and, and motivation, you know, in, able to, uh, in order to be able to build this business yourself and keep yourselves moving forward. So thinking of the characteristics of uh, the entrepreneur, um, what do you think in terms of your own personality help you to be an entrepreneur? Maybe you could think of just two things uh each of you uh that make you you know suitable for this entrepreneurial lifestyle so actually i'm going to jump around a bit so chris give me your your top two characteristics that make you a good entrepreneur for me would be tenacity um i, I think one has to be exceptionally tenacious when going off on your own um because you know you'll be faced with lots of rejection you know knock on lots of doors pound the pavements and so on and so forth um so if, if you give up quite easily, um, then, you know, it's not necessarily a good starting point for, a, for, a, for an entrepreneur. So, so tenacity, I think, uh, would be a, a top quality or, or characteristic. Um, and, and the other one, I think, is, um, you know, call it self-confidence or, or self-belief. Um, but, you know, you definitely need to have that um, in, 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 in spades uh, because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to believe in you. Um, so I, I think self-belief slash confidence in one's ability. I mean, put the product or service to one side, right? But, you know, in, in your ability and one's ability uh, is, is also paramount. 
Mm, definitely. Right. How about you, Jamie? Your top two. Um, I think one is empathy. Uh, law firms have perhaps unfairly this this kind of reputation for kind of we know best. This is how you do it. Whereas when you're kind of trying to devise a new solution, trying to understand your clients' needs and also what our lawyers' needs are, whether that's work-life balance, variety, kind of getting to know what the problems are and then designing a solution to solve those problems, I think it requires a lot of empathy. Um, and the other one I've said is it's also problem solving. You know, you're trained at big law firms to solve complex, complicated problems um, and, you know, deliver solutions. And I think, you know, that's something that stood me in, in great stead building the legal collective. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, what about you, uh, Sebastian? Your top two. Um, I guess uh, um, both Chris and Jamie have picked out some good ones there, so it's getting more difficult. Uh, but um, uh, perhaps uh, I will share with uh, you uh, mental resilience would be one that I can call out as, as, as a quality, uh, because I think, um, you know, we're all very aware about our you know, physical condition, but uh, uh, the the mental side of um, uh, things in terms of our mental strength. If you if we look at the top sports people, you know, um, whether it's Lewis Hamilton, um, uh, you know, all time great uh, F1 driver or Tiger Woods, uh, the greatest golfer, they talk about mental strength a lot and being at the top of their game for such a long period of time, year after year, having the mental strength. Um, to be able to be at the top of their game is such a key part of their success. Um, so I think also in business uh, for for entrepreneurs and, and, and business leaders, um, the mental strength also will play uh, a key part in terms of building a business and, and, and getting through those tough times um, when you need to be really strong mentally to get through that period. Um, so yeah, mental, mental strength and resilience is definitely would be one that I would um, say. Um, and um, yeah, well, maybe we'll stop there and, sh- and then let Alex um, continue. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. So for resilience, so we've had tenacity, self-confidence, empathy, problem solving and resilience. Definitely, you know, it's very, very important for for people who run their own business to feel passionate about what they do. Um, And certainly from, you know, hearing from the four of you, you are all very, very passionate about what you do. So um, just thinking, though, that a lot of people listening to this will be possibly thinking about starting their own business, having been locked down in COVID and thinking about what they do in their office and how they'd love to do something, uh, possibly starting from their kitchen table or something like that. But what could be some learning takeaways for these people? So what have you learned in your journey from starting out as an entrepreneur uh, that you could tell people so that they could uh, re, you know, stop reinventing the same wheel? Um, Chris, have you got any, any good tips yeah, um, I, I'm sure I'm sure the other guys do as, do, do as well. Um, there, there are lots of you know, mistakes that I have made along, along the way. And I think some of these you just have to learn by making mistakes. I, I don't think there's a, there's a comprehensive book uh, that, that one can write about you know, every single scenario that one might be faced when running a business because every business is also different. Um, <clears throat> But, but some of the things that I, um, you know, or at least one of the things that, that's been a big learning curve for me um, has been, um, and I'll go straight to it, pricing. 
term. You know, my mind's a consulting business, and you know, I'm not making you know iPhone cases or you know headphones or something that's actually made where there is a cost of production and you stick a margin on it, depending on how much you want to make or undercut the competition, <clears throat> and, and then you sell it on. Um, Consulting is a very different business in terms of pricing because it's essentially the quality of your work um, and, and the timing. Um, and I think a big mistake I made was in, in some of my initial quotes um, was where I priced it totally differently. I priced it from the angle of, you know, from my perspective and what I should have done. And I think this, therefore, this can be a common learning ground for any business. I think what I should have done was I should have looked at it from a client affordability perspective. Also, because I am working with smaller businesses or startups, that's even more important. I think when you're working with large multinationals, of course, pricing is important, but it probably is slightly less important than when you're working with organizations that are very conscious of the money they're spending, especially on consulting fees. Um, so big, big learning curve for me where, you know, Whatever I said in, in terms of my proposals were very well received, um, but clearly, uh, if, if I had thought about um, pricing it differently, uh, then I think I'd have won a lot more business in my, in my initial times. The, the other thing about going back to the pricing pieces is also to, uh, to check and see who else uh, your, your potential clients are talking to, because that starts to give you an idea of what the competitive landscape is. Um, if you know that they're talking to more expensive people than yourselves, then, then of course you can, you know, you can use that as a, as a competitive advantage. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Absolutely. Pricing is definitely one of the main issues when it comes to starting your own business, you know, looking at the competition, trying to find out this information as well. It's quite difficult to get hold of and uh, placing yourself within that market as well, uh, especially if you're doing something new. Um, so obviously, Alex, you said, you know, this was not a service that was available. You couldn't think of any other holistic life coaches. And so what about you in terms of, um, I mean, I don't know whether you want to talk about the issue of pricing as well or whether you want to talk about something else that you've sort of learned along the way. Um, well, pr pricing wise, I I think we kind of got it right-ish. I mean, it's never perfect right away because I, I did uh, sign up with a business coach like immediately because I set up this business on my own, no partners, no investors, just 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 me. And I thought it'd be really useful to have someone to talk to. <laughs> so, so I hired a, a business coach and um, he's helped with, 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 with working with health and fitness uh, type businesses so so that was really really uh, useful and I learned a lot from him obviously still made loads of mistakes because you do anyway but uh, that was really useful so I think getting a coach is is really fantastic you know I, I don't know there are quite a few health and fitness business coaches out there but I, I'm not sure if there's a coach for every, every kind of business um, but I think getting a coach is really good I mean I work with you know uh, I have a personal trainer I have a business coach and sometimes I work with a life coach every now and then um, so I think that's a really important part of, of the journey. I also think the second thing is really important is I read a book called Why Most Small Businesses Fail and What to Do About It by Richard E. Gerber. And there's one particular line in that book that I, I remember fondly. And he says, build your business around your life and not your life around your business. 
So the key message there is for entrepreneurs is think about how the, the, the business, how you're going to grow the business without like really, really breaking your balls and stressing yourself out and doing 12 hours a day or, or whatever. You want to try and aim for, you know, sustainable business growth while maintaining a, a life outside of business as well. I think a lot of people fall into the trap that, you know, I'm going to have to work really, 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 really hard, like every day. And then once I get over this period, it's all going to be okay. You know, once I get over this first two or three years, then it's all going to be okay. And you can get burnt out. So, so, so think about how to, how, how to do it sustainably. Um, and it's not easy, um, but, but that, that's something I, I believe you can plan for. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic point. I mean, so many people are inspired to set up their own business uh, in the first place to escape that rat race. Um, and so it kind of yeah, defeats the whole purpose. If now you've got your own business, you're suddenly burning yourself out and working 24 hour days, etc. Uh, obviously, there is that uh, concept of, you know, really throwing all your eggs in one basket, working really, really hard to, to get your startup off the ground. And, you know, those initial, say, three to four years are, are the hardest time when you need to be out there and getting your new customers, etc. But you're right to keep in mind the fact that at the end of the day, this is about you following your passion, trying to make the world a better place, bringing, you know, a service, that, filling a gap, etc. So uh, that's always an important part of it, keeping your uh, life and work balance. Um, Sebastian, what about you, your top learning and, and tips for anybody thinking of starting a new business? Yeah, I think um, for me, uh, I would say just get on with it. Um, you know, if you've got uh, something that you're really passionate about, um, you know, the, the hard work comes naturally. I don't think you thinking about how many hours you're in the office working. Um, so that is just part of, uh, of what is being an entrepreneur, but just getting on with it and, and, and don't you know, worry about being, uh, having everything perfect uh, because practice is progress. Um, so you know, um, it's all about making progress um, step by step, uh, particularly in the early years of any business. Um, and um, you know, um, cash flow is king. So I think uh, that's also a huge part of, um, you know, uh, getting the business model right. Um, so um, really, uh, those, those, those are my um, uh, key, key learnings for uh, starting out, um, I think. Uh, and um, I also have a uh, coach as well to help, help me along the journey, which is, which is, which is really good. Brilliant. Thank you, Sebastian. Yeah, it's good to hear that you've all got coaches. Uh, coaches certainly can be extremely supportive of founders um, going through all of the stresses and anxiety and the mental health issues as well. So it keeps people on track, motivated, held accountable, but also uh, helps get all of their creative juices flowing as well. So Jamie, what about you and uh, any, any tips and learnings from you? Yeah, I mean, when I started, I'd come out of a big law firm, you know, lots of colleagues in the office, and and then suddenly I was on my own, um, and I immediately gravitated towards this kind of startup scene in Singapore. You know, there's there's an accelerator or a boot camp for every sort of business, and you know, are you going to be the next legal tech? We work. Are you going to be the next legal tech? Amazon. Um, so I spent a year kind of immersed in this kind of startup ecosystem, which was 
great for me because I wasn't on my own, you know, and I'm talking to all these new interesting people who all said, you're going to be amazing. You're going to make law cool. Um, and after I'd say eight to nine months, I realized that that as fun as it was coming out of a corporate law firm, it was a complete waste of time. What you need to do is start speaking to your clients, getting to know them, getting work in the door, understanding what their pain points are and devising a solution that works for them. You know, you, you can spend too much time thinking you're going to become the next big, you know, tech platform and, you know, you're going to design a great solution. It's got to be this. And you've got to concentrate on the brand. I would say keep it simple. Get a couple of clients under your belt. Spend time with them. Give them the best service you can. Understand their problems and then devise a solution from there, keeping it as simple as possible. Um, and once I did that, things have really started to accelerate um, and it's been great. You know, you, you can actually see traction. Whereas, you know, if you're a, if you are a startup, there is this whole kind of ecosystem you can get a bit lost in. So I would say, as as fun as that is, what you need to do is concentrate on the basics, get some clients, and then go from there. Fantastic advice there, Jamie. Thank you very much. Um, so I think we've got time for just one more question. Um, but uh, I'd just really like to highlight what, uh, you know, one thing you find the most enjoyable about having your own business. So this will hopefully inspire people uh, and make them feel like they should do it as well. So Chris, what, what's your most enjoyable thing about your own business? I, Lara, I think I think what I've really enjoyed about my own business is is actually being, and it may sound corny to some people, um, but it's not a sales pitch. Uh, is is actually making is is being impactful with clients um, because it's a very different feeling. I mean, I, I still remember when I won my first piece of business and when I delivered it and when I sent my first invoice, etc. You know, it's it's quite a quite an exhilarating sort of feeling. Um, you know that. When you're in a corporate and you get a monthly salary, you know, you're being paid and, and so on and so forth. But when you run your own business and somebody pays you for something, it's a very, very different feeling because it's a sign that somebody out there kind of values what you do and, and you're making an impact and making a difference to, you know, an individual or a business or whatever. So I think for me, the biggest, you know, it's that kind of job satisfaction, I guess, uh, but in a different way. Um, you know, it's, it's really making the impact and therefore getting, getting satisfaction out of that. Great. Yeah. I love the sound of that. Thank you. Sebastian, what about you? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I would also actually kind of, uh, share what Chris has said there a little bit about, um, I think, um, it's very rewarding, um, you know, helping clients, uh, particularly for, uh, my business, which um, is fairly unknown to the marketplace, um, you know, if you Google, you know, companies trying to move office, you don't really come across businesses like mine, which is really um, there to serve um, tenants. So um, we're, we're, we're creating a new um, service really um, for for businesses. And, and that's what I'm uh, really excited about, being able to help uh, businesses to make their office move easy and um, relieving them of all that stress, anxiety and uh, disruption that they will be faced with. Uh, and, and so many people I've spoken to already, um, you know, said, oh, yeah, I just moved office. It's such a headache. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a shame we didn't connect before because I could have probably helped you out uh, a little bit. And so I think that's really um, key for me is making difference. And 
um, uh, coupled with that is my social responsibility piece about giving back to the community where I've created this um, um, out of my contacts that I'm being able to do that um, and able to help charities and, 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 and do something with furniture which otherwise uh, would, would, you know, go to waste. So um, there's a little bit of sustainability in there as well, I suppose. So I think that's really important to me. Absolutely. It's it's wonderful, I think, you know, to be able to have uh, thought about the, the social and yeah, sustainable aspect of your business. Um, and because you're the one in charge, able to build that into your business model, thereby solving a pain point for your client, but also uh, giving a great benefit uh, to, yes, caring for Cambodia. So that's wonderful. Thanks very much for that. Um, Jamie, what about you? For me, it's a mixture of the variety of, of work I do now. You know, it's much more diverse, you know, working with completely different companies, um, but also to be able, being able to respond much more quickly to, you know, a new opportunity, a new business line. You know, you don't have to go through committee meetings and red tape to get something changed. You can do it. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the pace at which you can operate your own company um, and respond to change, uh, which I really enjoy. Right. And how about you, Alex? Last word on uh, what you enjoy. Yeah, sure. I think a lot, lot of people think about this, but re really the freedom is, is fantastic. The, the, the ability to um, make your own choices and just sort of implement them immediately, irrespective of whether they're good ideas or terrible ideas. You know, you sort of live by the sword and die by the sword. But it's just great just to be able to, no, I think this is a good idea. Let's let's do it and just get on and do it without any politics or anyone to sort of overrule you. That's very free. I was going to say, uh, it's really nice to be able to take holiday whenever you can, but that's not really very appropriate at the moment. <laughs> but let's hope we can get back to that soon. And and this is very personal business. Like like Just like Jamie says, it's funny, I, I, I feel very similar to, to, to what he does in terms of it's very important to be a generalist in a specialized world and knowing a little bit about everything is how you can help people the most and then interacting with people is is is, is, is just so so rewarding and, and very personal and and like chris says when when people um you know, well, people actually pay you for a service you've done and they really like it and you just feel awesome and that's so much more rewarding than if you're doing it for a faceless entity well thank you so much i think you know what what we've heard today is very much that each of you's had a very personal journey in terms of spotting something that you really feel passionate about you've made a business out of doing that and you all thoroughly enjoy it uh, and you're you know solving problems pain points that people face that you you had identified and that you really enjoy giving back and that you're you know you really take joy in um, the satisfaction of your customers and working with them and it sounds like you know more on a personal level bringing it down away from you know the the huge faceless course uh, corporates and more onto the the personal you know individual clients and that satisfaction that you get when you've done a a good job um, and then you get back a repeat instruction from that person and and it's a wonderful feeling so we hope that we've really inspired any of you who are thinking about starting your own business um, or also just if you're thinking about um, services and and please do you know look up all of our um, founders here and 
their businesses um, and do support them. Everybody at this time is facing uh, a tough time during the COVID crisis and uh, it's important that we support our community. Certainly at the British Chamber of Commerce, we're very, very keen to support all of our members. So I'd really like to thank all of you today. Thank you so much, Alexander Mearns from Levitize. Thank you, Jamie Treadgold, Legal Collective, Krista Sitharan from Ren Advisory and Sebastian Ponia from Prime Place. Thank you all for sharing all your insights. I think they've been really, really helpful. And thank you all to you listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Please do bear in mind that this podcast is in all the usual platforms such as Spotify, Apple and Google. I hope you do subscribe to our channel and you do follow us and please like and share and comment and review. We'll be back with the next installment of our Founders series. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can share our podcasts and tag us in with the hashtag BritJamSG on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. For more information on the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore, please visit www.britjam.org.sg or should you wish to get involved with our podcasts, please feel free to contact us at info at britjam.org.sg.